That was kind of the overall theme of my career, actually, to this point, even, pursuing things that I loved rather than what made sense or what made you know, economic sense or sense for my career. I just, for the most part, I just said, well, that looks like fun. I want to go do that. And then I just go do that. <laughs> Once the master at procuring smooth beers for his fraternity brothers, Zach Stein, Dartmouth 96, now supplies Ivy League denizens with all the other things they need to make college work. Find out how following your taste buds and a penchant for acquiring a broad field of knowledge can open up a whole new buffet of options on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. Today, I'm here with my friend, Zach Stein, who I've known for a very long time and luckily have gotten to see a little bit more recently since he's moved into a job where I work. So it's kind of fun to reconnect that way. So welcome, Zach. How are you, LJ? Great to Um, see you. Good. You're one of the only people that still call me that, (laughs) which is nice. Sorry. Old habits die hard. (laughs) That's good. When I think of Zach Stein, I was going to say, when I think of Zach, I think of beer. But (laughs) that doesn't sound right. Before we get to that part, tell me about the Zach at college. Who were you then? I was enjoying myself as a college student. I knew going in that it was going to be the best four years of my life, and I made sure to make it the best four years of my life, but not necessarily in the traditional college way. You know, it wasn't something that I just disregarded school and, you know, just was out all the time having fun, but I just wanted to be able to really enjoy the experience, the whole college experience from, you know, of course the parties, but also learning and and getting to know people and being an adult for the first time in my life. My educational career was very broad based. I was an Asian studies major and I basically was an Asian studies major in order to take a whole bunch of classes in a whole bunch of different areas. And so I really didn't have a lot of focus. I, my focus was to just get a liberal arts education. And I succeeded. Uh, You know, I took intro classes in philosophy and engineering and economics and government and everywhere. So as a result, I had a lot of education all over the place, but not a real big focus. And that sort of led me into a tough sort of intro to the working world. Right. So when we were approaching graduation, what did you think that path was going to look like? Well, I thought as many people do at Dartmouth, either you were graduating as a consultant, you were going to go into the financial industry, or you were going to be a doctor. And so I never took any pre-med courses, so that was out. (laughs) I lived near New York City and knew enough about banking that I just didn't like the stereotypical version of the banker. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to be in consulting. And I got an internship with a consulting firm that worked in the electric utilities industry. That was between junior and senior year, and they gave me an offer senior year. So I said, great, that's what I do because I'm in in consulting. That's what you're supposed to do. And it was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Was it one of these like fly everywhere? and While the base of operations for this consulting firm was in New Jersey, I actually got a position in their satellite office, which was in New Orleans, Louisiana. I said, great, I'm going to be a consultant. I'm going to live in New Orleans. This is wonderful. Well, I was lucky. I actually did not have to travel. I was there in New Orleans, but didn't realize the hours that I was going to be pulling. 
So I always felt I had this wonderful toy, but I never got to play with it yeah. because I was always working. But Bourbon Street's open like at three and four when you get off of work, right? For sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was all right there, but I just, I was in my cubicle. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get out of cubicle life? <laughs> there was one moment that I still remember to this day. Actually, two moments. One is that I worked at 18 hours the day before and the day after Mardi Gras. And then also another day, I was actually working really late and so tired that I just needed to take a nap. So I actually went to sleep under my, my desk and then was woken up by the cleaning lady who poked me with her vacuum cleaner. And she was really surprised because she wasn't expecting anyone under her desk. Yeah. And I realized, you know what, this is, this is just crazy. What am I yeah. doing? You didn't like the stereotypical banker, but you became the stereotypical consultant. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, this is, it just didn't make any sense. And so at that point, I just said, all right, what do I love? What do I want to do with my life? And I ended up in the beer business. <laughs> what do I love in my life? Beer. So I will say when I think of Zach, I think of beer and this is why. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, back in, in college, uh, some friends in Zeta Psi fraternity, I was a brother in Zeta, and before parties, we would actually go get what we called smooth beers. That was before micro beers was a term, before craft beer was a term, we called them smooth beers. And so we went and got nice bottles of beer that we would drink together and enjoy before the party started. And I just fell in love with it and started homebrewing and even in New Orleans, there was a brew pub that, that had just opened up and I, the Crescent City Brew House. And I just, I wanted to live that life. That's, that's what I wanted. It just, it seemed so romantic and so much fun and brewing beer for a living would be just, just great. Um, but I thought, okay, well, why don't I start in, in a brewery? And so that way I can learn about the hospitality business from the inside, but not actually jumping into owning a restaurant or opening a brew pub myself. And so I managed. I found an opportunity at the Harpoon Brewery in Boston, and that's where a lot of uh, 96s remember me from because that's what I was doing as of, I guess, our five year. Great to have a beer guy on the reunions committee. Very helpful. We had smooth beer where other times <laughs> did not. I guess. Tell me about how how did that kind of work itself out, and what did the path look like? The idea going in was to learn about the restaurant industry and then jump into the restaurant industry and st start my own brew pub, but. I learned very quickly that the restaurant industry is an absolutely brutal place to, to work. It's like consulting, except without the money. I caution anyone who has an idea and say, oh, I'm a cook. You know, I love to cook and wouldn't it be great to open a restaurant? Be very careful about that. It is a rough life. So I um, wanted to be a part of the beer business, learned about the business and just loved what I was doing. And I felt like that was kind of the overall theme of my career, actually, to this point even. It's just it was pursuing things that I loved rather than what made sense or what made you know economic sense or sense for my career. I just for the most part, I just said, well, that looks like fun. I want to go do that. And then I just go do that. <laughs> So well, yeah, I went on to work in the beer business and learned, felt that it was enjoyable. But over time, people would think, say, oh, you know, you're, you get to go to bars for a living. Isn't that great? You know, just spend all your time. And, and it's great as a 20-something for a year or two. But actually, as an introvert, it's kind of tough. Like, so at the end of the day, end of the night, I would do promotions and then I would come home. And I, all I would want to do is just sit in a dark room and just mm. – 
sort of recharge. And so I learned fairly quickly that it's time to start thinking of something else. So I enjoyed the business aspect and sort of running of a company or just the overall just machine of buying things and stocking things. But I wasn't sure if that was the next path to take. I had a sort of pivot point because I my dad was a teacher for 15 years. And part of the job that I liked the most about being at Harpoon was actually teaching people about beer, about our styles, talking to restaurant owners, talking to wholesalers Mm -hmm. about what Harpoon is all about. So I said, well, you know, I could go pursue business or I could pursue education. My dad actually, you know, talked to me a lot about a career in education and what that could look like. Because a lot of folks think, oh, well, you know, I could be a teacher and teach for a long time. And you can do that. And a lot of people do. And it's uh, very rewarding. But there's also another aspect of it that you, you do teaching for a while. And then you can work, move into teacher administration, be a principal and then be a superintendent. And that's, that's a path that often gets overlooked. Hmm. So I was thinking, you know, I had sort of weighing those two options. So I, I went to a, an information session at Harvard because I was living in Cambridge working for Harpoon. And I just remember looking out at the people there and the questions that they were asking about this educational master's that you would need to get in order to become a teacher. It just didn't feel like my crowd. I don't know why. I wanted more action. I wanted less consideration. I wanted to do something. Mm-hmm rather than teach them and get somebody else to do something. I just, I wanted to be the person to do it. And so I went to business school. We actually, we talked to a lot of people who kind of have that moment of what next? Oh, I'll go to business school to try to figure it out myself being one of them. So I know Zach, I think of you, I think of Zach and I think of beer, but you're so much more than that. Um, (laughs) And I like that you've been able to distill that, distill. (laughs) That idea of I I want to be a doer, I like explaining, I like the operational side, that makes a lot of sense when you are now thinking, okay, now I'm going to get this broader-based business education. I could go many directions with that. So what did that look like after business school? Yeah, what they didn't tell me about business school was that you think you're going in for an education about business and to learn how to operate businesses and to operate in the business world. Business school is actually not for that. <laughs> the, the dirty little secret is business school is for people who already know what they want to do and want to network with the group of people who are already doing it so that they can get a job. That is what business school is for. And I did not realize that. <laughs> so I fell in with a group of people who were in a similar situation who also did not realize what business school is really for. And we kind of, it was kind of um, Dartmouth all over again, where, you know, we all graduated and we're like, oh crap, what do we do now? And we have to find a job and business school is built for finding a job in finance and finding a job in consulting. And (laughs) here we go again. And we're just not going to do that. I managed to scrape together an unpaid internship through some contacts at Timberland um, Mm. because I wanted to do marketing and I learned about marketing. It was great. Um, And I was paid in clothing and footwear. And uh, I got our snazzy bag. (laughs) (laughs) So at this point, you're, you're thinking marketing, you have operations and what's the next step of the winding road? So the next step was it kind of went back to the beer business. I really wanted to pursue the idea of starting my own business and knew that in from my harpoon days that the Washington, D.C. area was kind of a messed up market because one wholesaler basically controlled everything and put a stranglehold on 
craft beers because they had a few that they used and pushed and the rest they actually got the rights to and then purposely did not push because they didn't have to. So I thought that was a great opportunity to start a, a, a wholesaler and wanted to organize it in a different way because I didn't have the money and I wasn't really that good at fundraising. You know, I can talk to friends and family and got a few thousand dollars of promises. I thought, you know, it wouldn't it be great to broadcast it to as many people as possible and have everybody put in just a little bit of money? And this was in 2003. GoFundMe didn't exist at that right, point. Right. Thinking back, like, wow, GoFundMe would have been great to have at that point. <laughs> or to found at that point. <laughs> yeah, it's probably better, a much better thing to do than a beer distributorship, that's for sure. But it's, I also realized that I was just tentative. I didn't, I couldn't quite make the leap. And I didn't want to invest my friends and my family's money and, and have it disappear. That angst was too much for me. So mm-hmm. I realized then that bigger companies or companies that were more established going in a, on, on a good trajectory was really the smart way to go for me. You know, and it's not for everybody. A lot of people like risk. They, they can do it. I, I just, I, I realized then that that was not in my DNA. And so it just was a smart thing to just step back from that. Um, so I, I got a, I got a job uh, with a, a beer company doing sales and marketing for them, but also realized that it was a small company and wasn't doing that well. And so I just, I knew that it, the next step had to happen quicker. And so I wanted to get into marketing for Whole Foods because, you know, in my classic fashion, I liked shopping at Whole Foods. So it must be a great company. So that I just, you know, found that you couldn't work in marketing without getting a job in the stores. And so I actually got a job part-time stocking the beer shelves. After graduating from Dartmouth, Ivy League Institution for College, graduating Cornell, Ivy League Institution for Business School, and I am stocking shelves in a grocery store. That was pretty humbling. You know, it definitely wasn't what I was expecting from my career. And so I realized that and I, I wanted to push myself up the career ladder. You know, I worked in marketing for a while, but realized that the jobs for higher ups in Whole Foods was through the store operations. And so I pushed into the work in, in the store shelves or, or working the, in behind the cheese counter. So it was very humbling to do that and to put on a uniform each day. But I was actually kind of running my own small business there. And in a way, I was able to piece together the interest in running a business without the risk of doing it myself. So I really, you know, it's, it's a great experience there. And what an interesting way for a giant company at the time to really instill that, you know, what matters is the customer experience. And how will you know that if you're sitting in some back office, you know, just talking about Whole Foods rather than experiencing it through the eyes of your customer. So I'm sure you gained a lot more than you could have imagined that you would have learned on the floor, or stocking shelves or whatever that probably still helps you in, in the work. That yeah, you do. It, it definitely does. Um, I'm able to really see through the customer's eyes. And I also have the experience of actually doing that, that job with the tough hours, with random schedules, but also working with folks who maybe have just gotten to this country or have had some tough times and are really, it's a struggle for them to be able just to get to work and to pull some inspiration from those people to be able to say, okay, you know, I can do another hour. I can push through this. I can get this done. Like, let's just make this happen. Yeah. So you were at Whole Foods for a long time, actually. Yeah, I was there for for 11 years, starting in marketing, then in the stores, then switched to purchasing. And that's that was a, a game changer for me. I was in the cheese section, uh, and which also included the beer, of course, and applied for a purchasing job on a regional level for that. Didn't get it. 
but the head of the distribution center said, you know what, we have a produce job open. I think you should go for that. I think you, you'd, you'd be good at it. I said, well, I don't know anything about produce. I barely cooked at that point. Like, <laughs> what am I, I going to do? I can't do that. And he, he said, you're a smart guy. You'll figure it out. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, all right, I'll, I'll try. Why not? And three years later, I was a buyer for two different regions and buying roughly a quarter of the produce for the entire organization, you know, in different sections. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it was, it was a big deal. And you learned to love your vegetables and it actually probably got you your next gig maybe? I don't oh, know. Yeah, and it definitely did um, because I was been successful at Whole Foods, was in the Northeast region. They needed help down in the Florida region. And I decided to jump ship and haul down to Florida and live there for a couple of years, dragging my wife and family with me. <laughs> Fun fact, we actually, I think, moved 10 times in 12 years. <laughs> so just that's, that's the kind of career I've had. <laughs> Went down to Florida for a few years. And it's there where I was, I had first experienced being recruited and a headhunter called me and said, we have this excellent job. It's up in the Northeast where you're from, and we will pay you far more than you are making now. And it's with this, this food startup called Blue Apron. And we want you to be in charge of the buyers who buy for roughly half the company. And I said, well, that's amazing. I mean, you know, that they love me. They, they came to me and said, I, you know, they want me. <laughs> and by the way, it's finally in the income bracket that I was supposed to be in all along. I could actually afford to live in the New York metropolitan area in the same way I was able to live in Florida. Close to family, it was a no-brainer. Even though it was a startup at the time. Even though it was a startup. Now, the reason why, and it's funny because you mentioned that because the negotiations, you know, they were talking about you know, we could pay you a little bit less in salary, but more in stock or more in salary, a little bit less in stock. And I said, I want the salary. I don't know if this thing's going to last, but it's a way for me to move back to the New York area. And if this doesn't succeed, I left on very good terms at Whole Foods and I can always just go right back to Whole Foods. I was very cautious about it and went in with eyes wide mm -hmm. open. And also the fact is that at the time, Blue Apron was the darling. I mean, it was it was where things were and, yeah, and the food totally. industry was about to be revolutionized and I was going to be able to be a part of it. And I essentially was just moving my Whole Foods knowledge into a new company. And all I had to do was just remember stuff and just say what I already knew and magical would have happened. Did that end up happening? It, was it just, wow, I'm part of the revolution and I'm using my knowledge or was, was there another side? It stuff? was and it wasn't. It was, it definitely was, we were part of the revolution and we really felt that way. We really felt like we were revolutionizing the food industry. We were we were doing it in the right way. We were putting farmers first and we were working with them to find out what they could grow and to mm -hmm. just have them grow what we wanted and, and we were going to change the world. And what we didn't realize was how complicated that was. It, it seemed mm -hmm. so basic just to put food in a box, like how hard could that be? But when you have the amount of sales you're expecting change, you know, 15%, 20% each week, and the different meals require different ingredients and just, you know, all that sort of mishmash and things going up and down and customers could choose basically until four days before the delivery was. And so we had actually had to have talked to the growers six months ago in order to get that food right to the right point, And then the customers could just change. And so right. we had to struggle to make that work. 
And then, you know, when the market, we thought it was going to be wonderful, people realized it's it's just food in a box and we're paying how much for this food in a box? And the market's like, yeah, I don't know if that's going to work out so well. And so that's that's yeah. really what, what sort of made everything, threw everything into the, into the wind. Yeah. So was there a moment within that kind of evolution of the revolution where you're like, huh, this might not be my long-term place in the world? It, it should have been. Um, but in, in Blue Apron, I was asked to do a lot more leading. And to that point, I had craved for that leadership position at Whole Foods. I'd pushed for it and I wasn't able to get that to work. And so I was actually seeking that sort of leadership position and, and Blue Apron came in and was offering that. And I thought, this is great. I'm going to marry my education ideas and really, you know, be that leader that everyone talks about, you know, being putting my team first and really be all about education and not dictating. And that was the way I was going to be. When I actually got to Blue Apron and had my team together, there were about six or so people, none over the age of 27, a bunch of millennials. And millennials, they, they do what they think is right. And even if you try to you know show them and educate them, they say, eh, okay, that's nice. And then they'll go off and do whatever. And I didn't realize how tough it is to be an effective leader. And that was an, an eye-opening moment for me. What I thought I was going to be great at, there's a whole, le whole level of stuff that I just, I, I wasn't equipped for. You know, it's, it, was, it was something, it was, it was shocking. Mm-hmm. That, and that's where I felt like my business school experience was just out the window. It's kind of like war. You know, you can make all your plans <laughs> until bullets start flying. <laughs> you just throw it through the plan and you figure it out from there. You know, Blue Apron was, was more like war than anything that I had experienced to that mm -hmm. point. Um, both good and bad. You know, it yeah. was very visceral. Each week we had to get these boxes out. We had to get the right stuff in those boxes. And my team had to do some extraordinary things in order to get those ingredients into those boxes. Yeah, the, had the facility, you know, they would have an emergency at four in the morning. They wouldn't have the right broccoli and they need the, the broccoli for 7 a.m. So they call me and say, where's my broccoli? I need my broccoli in two hours. And I <laughs> said, it's four in the morning. He said, well, find the broccoli. You got to have it by seven. And so I'd talk to my team and call my, wake up my team members and they would, I don't still know how they did it, but they just, they would find broccoli at five in the morning on a Tuesday and there it would be. And I would get these calls more and more often. And just, it was like just battles, like weekly battles of getting these, these things in boxes. I, I said, I can't sustain this, but I have to, this is my job. This is what I signed up for. But then when Blue Apron went public and started cratering, we had a layoff and the night before the layoff, I was talking to my boss and he's like, yeah, it's no problem. It's no big deal. You're, you're going to be fine. No worries. Next day, he's sitting in front of me, told me that I was uh, no longer going to be a part oh, of the apron. God. Yeah, that was that was fun. But the look on his face told me that he didn't know until yeah, that morning. Yeah. That was a real, that was a life-changing moment. I, I felt like I got hit by a truck. I yeah. mean, I just, I moved up to to New Jersey. I was a 10-minute drive from my facility. We'd bought a house. Um, my wife, Margaret Chang, 96, was not working at the time. She had moved with me all around with my Whole Foods world. And so she didn't really, she put her career on hold for, for the kids and for, for me. Luckily, I had a very nice severance. It's always good, by the way, 
tip, if you're going to get laid off, be the first guy to get laid off and still have the money. And they can give me, they give you a much better severance. <laughs> <laughs> right. Can I go first, please? <laughs> yeah. No joke. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. If you got a chance. I, after a couple of days of wallowing, I said, you know what? I don't have the time to, to wallow. I got to figure something out. You know, then I thought, you know what, let's broaden this. The produce industry, it's what I know. I, I can get a job doing that. But is this really what I want to be for the rest of my life? There must be better ways of living than being called at four in the morning trying to get broccoli for seven. And so I had started thinking in other directions. And at this point, I had been working for several years and realized that I saw what it took to be super successful. There was there was this other gear that folks had that they just they knew what had to be done and they were going to do whatever it took. And I saw that gear in college in fencing when I was you know fencing for Dartmouth. And you know I had that gear you know at some point in my life. But at this point in my life, I just didn't have that gear anymore. All respect for the people who can do that and continue that. And those are the ones who, who really make a name for themselves in, in whatever field they are. But being brutally honest with myself, I couldn't do that. And so my family was more important. I wanted to actually spend time with my kids. I know it's a cliche, but I, I did. I felt like being a good father and husband was important to me. And things out of side of work were equally important to me. I, you know, wanted to cook. I wanted to, you know, work with my parents and help them out. And I didn't have that time with Blue Apron. And I, if I were to continue down that road in produce, I would not have that time. And so that was important. And it led me to higher education and led me to to Princeton and talking to you. Which is kind of interesting because your father had said like, yeah, think about education, but maybe not the teaching part. And kind of gave you this, or at least at that point, you had this narrow indication of what administration is, but there's this whole other world of we're running a little city in universities and, you know, somebody has to buy everything from the, you know, paper products to the beakers to whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And you're part of the team that does that now. From trash removal to scientific equipment to dining to athletics, I mean, everything. And so it's a much different job. But if our kids don't have broccoli at seven in the morning, it's, you know, we'll just serve cabbage. <laughs> like it's not, it's not like for a death, exactly. right? Like it's different. And in the education sphere, at least in higher education, it is a much more contemplative approach. Just things are done more carefully. Where my whole life to that point was get things done. If it's close enough, that's fine. Just make it happen. Do it quickly. Here, I've had to pivot a lot and to, to learn to think much more broadly about and comprehensively about whatever we are, whatever we are purchasing and say, okay, you know, we want to buy this piece of software. Well, we have to worry about our data privacy. You know, let's talk to the folks in data privacy about that. Okay, well, it involves staffing. So we have to make sure the staffing part of it is okay. And we have to think in all these different aspects and try to sort of surround the problem with all the, the people who have important roles to play in the university. Well, I just, I love this idea that, you know, you started off with this love of beer 
and then it was beer and cheese, and then you were in charge of produce, and now it's everything. And it's kind of like that Asian studies major, right? Like you had the broad interest and you wanted to dabble into everything and you felt like you had this broad-based knowledge. And now I feel like that's what you're reliving that and almost coming back to the true Zach, yeah. right? What's actually neat and odd is that it's the first purchasing position I've had that I don't actually buy anything. I help the departments buy things. And so they are the ones actually making the decisions. I'm going to buy this or I'm not going to buy that. I am helping and facilitating them on those purchases. So you are a Dartmouth consultant. Exactly. Right? And so, yeah. So I was talking to Eric Winograd, another Dart 96, about my new, my new position at Princeton. He said, and I explained it. And he says, oh, so you're a, you're a, you're a purchasing consultant. I said, wait, what? No, I'm in purchasing. He said, no, you, you don't actually buy anything. You're just telling other people what to do. That's a consultant. And so here I am. You know, 20, almost 25 years later. You got with the program. I got with the program. It just took me a little while. <laughs> That's right. But the program actually, in this case, um, you're not on a plane. You're not sleeping under your desk. You're going home at the end of the day and you're seeing your kids and Margaret and um, having more of a life. And I see you smiling a lot. Exactly. And that's actually, it's funny you mentioned that, but soon after I got this position at Princeton, you know, coming home every day and having these stable hours, my son came up to me once and said, daddy, you're smiling again. I said, oh, oh I didn't, I, I had no idea that, that I, it, I was yeah. showing all of the angst and, and, the, and the, the, the work that I was having to put in. And to hear that, I said, okay, I, I think I've made the right call. Oh, totally. Oh, gosh. I'm so glad. That's, I can't say anything else. Wow. Okay. As long as you keep that smile, you're going to be on a very fine road, my friend. So thank you for sharing that with us. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's been a journey and I've learned a lot along the way. That was Zach Stein, a purchasing consultant who, while no longer our direct line to the best beer deals, is still the one to go to for recommendations of the best craft brews around. And for the best stories from a bunch of people who are living great lives, even if they aren't the ones they could envision for themselves 20-some years ago, look to me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, on the next episodes of Roads Taken. Roads Taken.